welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Ashley Van Houten. I'm your host. And today's episode is a super fun one. It is brought to you by you guys because I reached out as I was launching this new podcast. I reached out to my community and I said, what do you want me to talk about? And one of the things that came back over and over again, this is kind of a couple things, but it's all under one umbrella, is understanding, getting a better understanding of what this carnivore movement is all about. And then secondarily, learning a little bit more about organ meats, which anybody who knows me at all knows that this is my passion, right? My passion is about teaching about nose to tail eating, about the health benefits, the sustainability aspect, the ethical aspect, all of that of eating a true nose to tail diet. If you're a meat eater, it's about respecting the whole animal and sourcing the best product that you can. The healthiest animals will create the healthiest humans. And so I talk about organ meats a lot, and I talk about eating meat a lot, and people seem to be kind of interested, some more cautiously interested than others. And some of you have reached out to me, a lot of you have reached out to me saying, look, I'm starting to be won over by this whole organ meat thing, but I'm still scared. I don't really want to handle it. I'm not really sure how to make this delicious. It still grosses me out. I want to try, but I just don't know how to start. And so I decided that I was going to dedicate an entire episode to delving into these topics, starting really high level in terms of what does it actually mean to try to eat like a carnivore? How can you best implement that into your diet, into your life as an exploratory thing, as an experiment, as a tool, as a reset, and then kind of going deeper into different meat sources and how to kind of approach the nose-to-tail organ meat thing. So I wanted to answer some of your questions directly, and I didn't want to do it by myself because it's weird talking into a microphone by myself, speaking to no one for an hour. So I decided to bring on one of my very good friends who has been a co-host for me in the past. Her name is Beth Lipton, and she is a chef and a recipe developer and a journalist and a super super smart human being. And we always have a great time when we chat and hang out and talk about food and fitness and stuff together. So I thought that she would be a great person to bring on to help me kind of go through some of this stuff with you. And uh, she also, incidentally, and we get into this quite a bit in our chat, she has contributed a really cool recipe to my nose to tail cookbook that's coming out this summer. So I thought, you know, who better to talk to me about that kind of stuff? We'll delve into it. And I get to kind of talk to you guys a little bit more about the book, which is, of course, very exciting to me too. So you can learn more about that. So that's it for the intro. I don't want to spend too much time rambling by myself because Beth and I just dive really deep on this one. But I appreciate you guys giving me your feedback and telling me what you're interested in so that I can provide something that I know is directly useful for you guys. So I hope that it's helpful. And if it is, I would love for you to share the podcast with somebody that might be interested. I'd love for you to leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts share it on social media, let me know what you think. If you have follow-up questions, if this chat has given you more questions than answers, just reach out to me. You know, My email is in the show notes, my Instagram, my website. Send me a message and uh, we can keep it going. So without further ado, here is my awesome chat with my awesome friend, Beth Lipton, about all things meat. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Beth, welcome back to the podcast, but it's also sort of a new thing. First time with Muscle Maven Radio. I'm so happy you're here. Me too. So excited. Thank you for having me. 
yeah, I just know how much fun it is whenever we have, well, anytime we talk really, but then we get to record it, turn it into a podcast. People seem to enjoy it. And this episode I think is one that's actually pretty, I don't know, dare I say highly anticipated because when I put out the call to people on social media to say, what do you want me to talk about? Like, what do you want to learn about? It was a lot of people interested in carnivore nose to tail organ meats, not surprisingly. And Mm -hmm. that is one of my favorite topics. Mm -hmm. And also I thought it would be great to have you on because as a chef, as a recipe developer, as somebody who's like very much in this world too, and frankly knows more about how to make food delicious than I do, (laughs) I I thought that it would be great to have you on here to kind of go through some of these questions with me. So I appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure. It's also sort of like been the secret fantasy of mine to turn the tables on you and ask you the questions. Yeah, so, I gotta get I gotta get better at it too, right? Because I'm very used to being the question asker, and with the cookbook coming out soon, I'm planning, I'm hoping, if I'm lucky, to get on a ton of podcasts and answer questions about organ meat. So I kind of need to like know what I'm talking about. It's funny because even when I'm like on other people's podcasts, and you might know this if you've listened to any of them, but like I've been on a couple podcasts where I'm the guest, and I still a hundred percent manage to like completely flip it and just ask them questions the whole time. They're like, how'd you do that? I'm like, oh, I'm the queen of deflection. So <laughs> I've actually been accused of the same thing. When a few times I've been guests on podcasts and I started asking questions and they're like, uh, excuse me, but I'm interviewing you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you are a naturally curious person though, like that's just, it's just like the first thing you do is just ask people questions, right? It just like comes naturally rather than, I don't know, talking about yourself. But This actually works out well because it's not necessarily talking about myself. It's just talking about a subject that I'm very interested in. So I'm excited. So let's delve in. I think there's kind of two big parts of the conversation that I seem to be seeing online and people who are asking me questions. And one big part is like, what's this carnivore thing? I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of excited. I want to learn more. And then there's like, organ meats. What? I'm scared, but also kind of interested. So tell me about it. So maybe we kind of start like high level. Let's talk about carnivore a little bit and then we'll dig deeper into it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So one of the things that I think keeps coming up around carnivore is whether or not it's safe, whether it's sustainable, like what the sort of environmental implications are. And I'm sure we'll start quoting Diana Rogers any minute because we're both fans of hers. And then also, is it different for women versus men? Because a lot of the voices out there talking about carnivore, you know, some of the women who talk about it come from a standpoint of like illness, you know, like they use it to help with illness. But like, what about women who are not dealing with something like that? So is it kind of safe and good and okay for women Yeah, you know, versus men? Yeah. So these are all good questions. And I think from like the initial starting point, like let's talk about literally what carnivore means because it's so easy to get confused, even with something as seemingly simple as the carnivore approach. Because you think about all the different interpretations of paleo and keto and people just kind of get caught up maybe on one detail or, you know, what they see on the internet. So I think, and again, this is just my interpretation so maybe it's not everyone's, but for me, the carnivore approach is someone who is deciding to eat animal products only. Mm -hmm. So that can mean a variety of products, right? You see more often when people are eating carnivore, you see that it's red meat, it's beef, 
it's ground beef and steak. And I think that that's because it's easy, it's palatable. Everybody loves a steak, right? Like, you know, that's a no brainer. And I do think that oftentimes with super restrictive diets, people do kind of just want the easiest approach. We've talked about this before that a lot of times the most restrictive diets can be the easiest to follow, which seems counterintuitive, but it's super easy to follow a very strict, very short list of rules, right? Just eat beef. Right. There you go. It's very hard to, you know, misinterpret that or mess up, right? Whereas if you're looking at maybe paleo, there's just so many different ways to interpret that and move forward with that that it's very difficult. So I understand that people sometimes can see the most narrow version of carnivore and think on one hand that that's crazy, but also that it's kind of easy to understand at least, right? The one thing that I have seen come up in sort of like discussions around carnivore is and we can talk about this sort of later, but like, is dairy technically an animal product? And what does that mean? But we can come back to that. You were talking about what carnivore is. Yeah. I mean, that is a good point though, because I mean, for me, of course, dairy is an animal product. It comes from an animal, but oftentimes we get confused about, okay, but is my like super high sugar, like mocha flavored yogurt still, you know, carnivore? Cause that technically, I mean, it's dairy, right? So anyway, we can, yeah, we'll get into that. But for me, I think that the approach to carnivore is still to be as varied as you possibly can in terms of the sources that your animal protein's coming from. So you want to get fish, you want to get seafood, you want to get a variety of game meats if you can. And then of course you want to get a variety of types of cuts from the different animals. So I'm not, if I'm doing carnivore, I'm not just going to eat a steak every day. That is so boring and it's monotonous. And then you're getting like texture fatigue and all of that stuff. So I want to eat like different parts of the animal. I want to eat organ meats. I want to eat eggs. I want to eat fish and shellfish. And I want to eat maybe smoked fish and canned fish. I want to eat dairy, good quality, high quality dairy. I'll eat cheese too. So I think what it really is for a lot of people, you were speaking about a lot of people who come to this from an illness perspective, not like a weight loss, or I just don't want to eat vegetables anymore perspective. (laughs) People who really have to be strict. And like we have like sort of the Michaela Petersons of the world and the Chris Bells, like you can, we'll put all this in the show notes so people can kind of explore other people who are doing this, who are coming at it from an illness perspective. And this was the only thing that, that has given them relief and has improved their digestion and improved their quality of life. I don't come from that perspective. I did it as a just a purely experimental thing. And also I like to kind of use it as a reset. And I actually want to ask you about your experience with it too, because I think it's important for most of us to, I'm always trying to come back to the middle and to the sustainability side of it. Like most people, unless you are dealing with a serious illness to which this is your best kind of way to move forward nutritionally. For most of us, we're doing it because we maybe our digestion's a little off. Maybe we're not quite sure about some of the vegetables we've been eating. Maybe we want to do a hunger reset. There's all kinds of sort of reasons in the middle why we try this. Mm-hmm. And people tend to move into this like, oh, it worked really well for me for a week. So I guess human beings are only supposed to eat red meat and nothing else. And that's all I'm going to eat for the rest of my life. Right. right. You know, <laughs> and it's just, it's just not sustainable on so many levels because it's, again, you go back to, you've got a social life. Maybe you've got a family and you want to eat normal food with them sometimes. It gets boring. You have a special occasion. You go on vacation. Like there's just so many ways that doing these uber strict approaches isn't necessarily feasible. And if you set this intention that this is who you are now and this is how you're going to eat, and then when you inevitably slip up, you feel like you're 
a failure. You feel like your willpower, yeah, isn't good. And that's crazy. So I like to think of the carnivore approach, again, as a temporary thing, as a tool, and something for you to experiment with yourself personally to see how you tolerate it, how you enjoy it, how it makes you feel, just like you would with like a keto reset or fasting or whatever. Well, you brought up something that I think is a really important thing to highlight, which is you always have to remember the why. Yeah. Like the point is not to be the most carnivorous carnivore in the world. Like that's not a goal. Yeah. So what is your goal? If yeah. your goal is weight loss, if your goal is resetting your digestion or hunger or whatever it is, like that's why you're doing it. So when it's time to stop because you've sort of answered whatever question you're trying to answer, then it's time to stop. That doesn't mean that you failed. Yeah. So I, I think that's, it's a really important thing for people to remember that, you know, remember when you go into it, why you're doing it so that you're not doing it just to do it. You're not doing it just to, like I said, be the most carnivorous carnivore. Cause that's not, yeah. then you're not helping yourself. Yeah. Invariably you're going to fail at that because it's not a real goal. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Have you ever experimented with it with more than just like, all right, I'm just eating a big steak for dinner today. <laughs> like what was your experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I've done it like for a few days at a time. It's hard for me because of my, my work as a recipe developer. I don't always have the choice. <laughs> you know, if I'm developing a recipe, I have to try it. So when I can carve out a few days, you know, I've sort of been known to slip into it for, you know, and sometimes I do it without even realizing it, but it's always meant to be as a short-term thing. I mean, even if I didn't have the sort of professional restrictions around restricting my diet that I have, I still, it's still something I see as a reset or as a temporary thing, not as a permanent. I'm not attracted to the idea of doing it permanently. I have respect for people who do. If that's, I think everybody needs to find their own path and find what works for them. And if only eating animal products is what works for you, then God bless. For me personally, like I really like vegetables and fruit and chocolate and coffee, let's be honest. Why is it chocolate an animal product? (laughs) That would be the perfect diet. Yeah. So like, you know, for me, it's just not realistic in the long term, but definitely as like a, you know, if you think about it, and I heard somebody describe it this way, I don't remember who, but it's kind of the ultimate elimination diet. And elimination diets are very powerful. So no matter how you, no matter which flavor of elimination diet you choose, they're incredibly powerful for finding what those things are that are holding you back. So I think a carnivore diet as an elimination diet is, as you said, it's one of the easiest ones you can do. You don't have to worry about, about this category, or that category. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if it's an animal, then it fits. So I think they're great for that reason. And it's also a great elimination diet option in my understanding because it still does a lot of the things that you need from a diet, which is it's providing you with important micronutrients. It's providing you with protein that is going to support muscle growth or maintenance. You know, we can argue all day about really whether you need carbs or how much fat you need or whatever, but I don't think there's any arguing that like protein is the building block. That is what you need. And then the rest of it you can play with. And you're also getting fat, of course, from most animal sources. So people who are coming to this from like a ketogenic perspective or from a low carb perspective, it still works for you because you're getting what you need to support your body's function and really nothing else. And I think like the conversation that I want to have around the why and how this could maybe work as a tool, again, for women specifically, 
And again, this is literally just in my experience, my personal experience and also anecdotal experience from women that I speak to and work with, like maybe in a coaching way. I talk to a lot of women who are keto because I think that that is still a big part of the health conversation. And it makes sense that keto is a response to the issues that we're having in sort of the greater scheme of nutrition in terms of this standard American diet and this super high processed, high carb, high sugar environment that has been so detrimental to so many people, right? It makes sense that a reaction to that is like, we'll cut all of that the hell out because that's just bad. Carbs are bad and all the sugar is bad and it's messing with me. And it's also an understandable response to people who have a complicated relationship with food, which is something that is very common for women. And I'm sure certainly with men too. I just, you know, again, from my experience, it does tend to be a deeper, more complicated, shame-filled issue for women. And so I speak to a lot of women who have gotten into keto. They have noticed results. They've noticed maybe an increase in their understanding of how food affects them, their ability to control their cravings. Because as we know, carbs are like, it's killer as far as cravings and emotional eating and hangry, you know, all that ups and downs. And it works until it doesn't, right? Because people tend to, you latch onto this tool that works and maybe you become a little dogmatic about it, maybe a little obsessive about it. And then you sort of transfer some of these emotional dysfunctional feelings you had before with carbs now to keto and being obsessed with never eating carbs, making sure you're getting your macros perfectly. You know, I've had conversations and this is in no way intended to shame or put down anybody. This is just how our brains work. And it's so common that I want to talk about it here. Women who get into keto and they become so sort of enmeshed in that as part of their identity that I literally have women talking to me saying like, my cheat day is like allowing myself some like Brussels sprouts with my dinner. And I'm like, oh boy, like you're the perspective shift of, you know, I'm allowing myself a strawberry in my shake today. And I'm like thinking about that for a while. I'm like, holy moly, like we need to take a step back here. So I think that the reason why keto can be problematic is exactly that. And carnivore can be that issue too, because again, you get so strict on it that is a little bit of raw dairy, is that carnivore, is that going to work? Like we're missing the point. And this goes back to, again, what you said, your why. The point isn't to be the best keto person in the world because nobody cares, who cares, what does that even mean? The point is to find an approach to diet that best suits your goals, your physiology, how you want to live, right? Which is why I think strict keto and strict carnivore forever don't work for the majority of people. There are some people out there dealing with specific diseases and chronic issues that it will work and that's the way they're going to eat. But for most of us, you know, identifying with it and making it that's a part of your lifestyle is going to be a problem. So I encourage people to, and I've said this to a lot of my keto women who consider Brussels sprouts a treat, I encourage them to really, again, kind of take a step back and think about it as all of these experiments, all of these resets, all of these approaches as tools, as part of your journey, as learning experiences that are positive and fun and cool. And if they don't work, you didn't fail. You just found something that didn't work. So let's continue on and be positive and enjoy it. But it's that tendency, that human tendency to, I found something that works. So now this is my entire life. I'm going to double down on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's very common, but that can be our undoing sometimes. So it's so true. And I think one thing that people 
should remember as they embark on anything like this is that when you stress about it, you're basically taking away whatever positive benefits you're getting. Stressing about food is very harmful, just like stressing about anything. I mean, obviously we all have stress in our lives, but you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about stressing about food, that thing, like thinking about the one strawberry you're putting in your shake or cheating with Brussels sprouts. Like if you are like really considering heavily whether or not to eat something that's like a common food at a meal, if you are worried about, like very worried about going out to eat if or going to someone's house for a meal, like anytime you are, or you feel like guilt or shame over something you're eating, anytime you're stressing at that level about food, it's time to examine, again, what your why is and whether or not these individual choices are making a difference. Because not only is it like wildly unpleasant and takes all the pleasure out of eating, which is one of the most pleasurable things we get to do, but it's also just, it's counterproductive to your goal. Like that stress is going to set up stuff in your body that makes it more difficult yeah. to get healthy. So yeah. Another reason that I have personally found, and again, personal anecdote, you tell me how you feel about it. A reason why I feel like the carnivore as a reset opportunity is helpful is because I have found protein to be the most overtly satiating of the macros, right? So lots of people can discuss how they feel when they're eating a higher carb versus a higher fat or vice versa diet and the satiating effects of a high fat diet, right? And a lot of people find this is great because if I need to lose a bunch of weight or if I have issues with understanding or recognizing my satiety signals, fat's great because if I eat a high fat meal, I'm super full. I don't want to eat anymore. That's not necessarily true for everybody and hasn't been true for me generally. I actually find carbs to be more, when the right carbs, to be more satisfying for me personally because I tend to be a volume eater. So I want to eat a lot. And when you are a small person and you can't eat 5,000 calories a day and maintain the body composition that you want, you can't eat high volume of fat because as we know, fat has more calories per gram than carbs and protein does, right? So if you're somebody who wants to eat less and you find that you know a decent piece of protein and some olive oil drizzled on it with some, with some avocado is satisfying for you, great. I tend to find that some of these slow burning carbohydrates for me personally tend to keep me more full than fat. So when I was attempting a strict ketogenic approach, I was definitely finding myself overeating. And I gave myself the opportunity, like I gave it more time than just a couple days because you know you've got to balance these things out. And I just still found that I just, it just didn't work for my lifestyle and the way I like to eat. Carnivore, however, even for somebody who does have trouble and has had trouble in the past with just completely overriding my satiety signals, because I'm like, I'm full, but I want to keep eating this. So I'm going to, and I'll <laughs> deal with the consequences later. <laughs> Carnivore, like protein just really, it tells you very strongly and clearly your body will tell you that you have eaten enough. And if you're eating like, again, a big old steak or a pile of ground beef or liver, your body's going to be like, you know what? I've got enough. I've got mm -hmm. enough and you can stop. And it's not so hyper palatable that you will want to override it. Like, yeah, sometimes you might eat more steak than you need to, but like consistently over time, you're not going to overeat protein to the point where it's turning into glucose and it's making you fat or it's making like that just is 
generally mm-hmm. probably a pretty rare response. So I do think that for people who are experiencing those issues, so they tend to overeat on keto or they're just sort of sad by the amount of food that they're supposed to be eating on keto, people who have in the past had a history with you know overeating out of comfort or boredom or whatever, this might be an approach that works for you. And I think that going back to people who are asking, like, I'm interested in carnivore, but I'm not really sure like how to start implementing it. I think that it might be worth, and again, this is, you need to talk to a doctor if you're having like real pathology and issues and gut health issues. This is not medical advice. This is just people talking about carnivore. It might be worth kind of easing into it the same way you would with keto. So if you are going from standard American diet, super high in processed food or carbs, you don't want to necessarily just immediately click over into strict carnivore, right? You're going to, that's not going to be pleasant. But maybe you start just thinking about if you tend to be like a lot of women eating lower, like really small amounts of protein, maybe just think about increasing the protein. Maybe think about replacing your snacks that tend to be carb or fat with protein instead. So maybe you're having some delicious beef jerky or your leftover whatever, or your eggs or whatever, and start kind of slowly working your way up. And then maybe you have one meal a day that's just animal protein. And then maybe you do that for a full day where it's just animal protein. You just pay attention, just check in with your body, see how you feel. And then of course, if you're doing this as an elimination diet and you want to start just pinpointing foods that do or do not work for you, you maybe do your strict carnivore for a few days and then you just add in your avocado or you just add in some nuts or whatever it is that you're kind of playing with. It's standard elimination diet stuff. You just, you adhere to something, really pay attention. You're going to want to journal. You're going to want to make notes, how you feel, how your digestion feels, how your sleep feels, and then start mindfully putting things back in and playing with it. That's what's worked for me anyway. The other thing too, with using it as elimination diet, if you're not trying to find a specific food that's irritating you, like if you suspect something's up, but you really don't know what it is, and you try carnivore for a few days, I would suggest not planning what you're going to add back first and see what you really want. Mm. And if, if you're dying for a salad, then that tells you something. And then eat the salad and then see at, you know, a little bit and see how you feel after. So just because you're craving the salad may not mean that the salad's working for you, but I would just give yourself like a little check and like check in with yourself and say, God, you know, all I really want right now is, you know, (laughs) Brussels sprouts or all I really want right now is a piece of chocolate or all I really want right now is whatever, fill in the blank and go with that first. Yeah. The other thing about carnivore that I was going to say is, you know, right now, most of us are not traveling, but if you are usually somebody who travels frequently you know, that can be a really challenging time for people who try to eat healthy and we all know why. So going carnivore is a good strategy for that because then you just don't have to focus so much on finding balanced meals. You just have to find some animal protein, which you can find in pretty much any culture. So, you know, if you're going to eat on a plane, bring your snacks with you, bring like a meat stick. You know, I love those like chomps meat sticks or whatever, or bring, you know, don't bring a hard boiled egg because that's stinky, but like, you know. <laughs> don't bring your tuna casserole. Don't bring your tuna, no, you. no, no, none of that. But like just, you know, beef jerky or some, I'm not proud, but I have been known to like cook bacon and let it cool and wrap it up and bring it with me. <laughs> I love it. You so, should be proud of that. That's I, I mean, idea. that's me. So, but I mean, that's one way when you're traveling to keep eating healthy is just to eat, you know, 
carnivore and just seek out high quality animal protein. You know, if you're just going to be traveling for a couple of days and you're just uncertain about what you're going to eat. But that's just one thought. But yeah, I would say that when you approach carnivore, especially if it's for the first time, like especially if you're just dipping your toe in, I think it's really important to do, as you said, which is look for variety. So you don't, being carnivore doesn't mean you have to eat steak three times a day. Certainly do that if that's what you want to do. But having some cold cooked shrimp or having some oysters or some, you know, some definitely some organ meats, like whatever animal proteins you really like, you know, have as many of them as you can. Cause it's good. I mean, it, it covers more nutrients and also you lose that, you know, that boredom. And the other thing I just wanted to mention is that, you know, you talked about protein being satiating, which it definitely is. Protein is also the only like essential macronutrient, right? Because, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like we've established that there is no baseline. You, you don't need to eat carbs. And I'm not saying it's bad to eat them. I eat them, but you don't necessarily need them. You don't need to eat fat because your body will eventually draw on its fat stores. And there's also fat in most animal proteins. But protein is something you can't get internally. If you don't eat enough protein, your body will start chomping away on your muscle tissue. So that's another thing just to remember when we're talking about the macronutrients. I'm not saying that the other ones aren't important, but there is something to the idea that the only one that we really have to eat to sustain ourselves and keep up our body composition is protein. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think just sort of one last point to kind of wrap this up before we start talking about the weird stuff that I like to talk about <laughs> is um, just sort of adding on to what you said. And again, going back to the conversation around women and nutrition specifically, and this does, again, also apply to men, but I think it's a harder sell sometimes for women to think about carnivore because we tend to eat lower protein. We tend to be a little bit more intimidated by what we think of as high protein. We think big old steak is something that's first of all, masculine. Second of all, something that could be fattening, that could be heavy. No one wants to feel heavy when they eat. And so I talk to a lot of women who, again, maybe are more gravitating towards keto because the meals seem lighter. Like they're having sort of a big salad with a lot of avocado and olive oil and maybe like a sprinkling of some chicken here and there. And that just feels light. So it feels better to them. But another thing that I've been trying to hammer home forever with women and body composition and muscle building and wanting to look and feel strong is that so often women who are in the process of fat loss versus maybe changing their body composition, those are two different things, mm -hmm. oftentimes are disappointed at the end of a fat loss journey when they still aren't necessarily happy with the shape that their body has because they've been so focused on losing fat. Mm -hmm that they haven't been thinking about building muscle. And ultimately, the muscle building is, again, if we're just talking about aesthetics here, the muscle building part is what's going to make you feel and look good because that's what gives your body this fit, nice, rounded, firm shape. So, so often we talk about the skinny fat issue, which is more common with women because we just have so much less muscle to work with as a baseline, right? Like, And men can be skinny fat too, but men just have a bunch more testosterone and a bunch more muscle. So 
oftentimes they start losing fat and their six pack pops out and they can see the veins in their biceps because they have biceps, which we don't have unless we work pretty hard at it. Right. So I'm always telling women, and again, this doesn't have to be an overnight thing where you go from only eating salads to suddenly eating 16 ounces of red meat every meal. That, that, that isn't the way carnivore has to look for you, but having a protein first approach is going to support muscle growth. It's going to support the muscle you already have. It's going to help you build muscle. If you're in the gym, lifting heavy weights, that's so crucial. And it's also crucial to how you, if you want to look and be a fit, strong person, you have to prioritize muscle over fat loss. And the great thing is if you're prioritizing muscle growth intelligently, not just like, let's bulk up and get as big as I can. If you're prioritizing muscle growth, that is going to have the secondary effect of burning fat. Because the more muscle you have, the more fat you're burning just sitting around. And the more muscle you have and the more muscle you're working for, you're burning fat while you're doing that. And so a great friend of ours, obviously, you know, I got to drop her name, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She... Yeah, yeah, she practices muscle-centric medicine, and she speaks very strongly about the importance of having this protein-centric diet for mm-hmm. muscle growth, because not only does it look good, it is very important for longevity and overall health. So just hammering home again for women, like, do not be scared of protein. Do not be scared of lifting heavy weights. You will not look like a man, promise. Mm-hmm. Two examples right here of people yeah. just crushing protein and weights, trying so hard, trying so hard, <laughs> trying so hard. It doesn't so happen. Hard, yes. So just don't, and again, like you don't have to be uncomfortable. You don't have to eat so much that you feel uncomfortable, but just think about, it doesn't have to be this big, heavy, serious thing. It's just, you're eating protein first because it's important yes. for muscle growth and it's going to having muscle under your fat makes you look better. Because if you lose all your fat and you have no muscle under it, you're still not going to have the shape that you want, I think, for most people. And having that nice, strong, you know, firm muscle underneath whatever you're working with is what's going to make you kind of look and feel good. So definitely, that's that. And if anybody has any questions, you're listening to this and you're like, I want you to talk even more about carnivore, (laughs) let us know, send us a message, you know, respond to this when we post it. I think that this is like the good baseline. There are lots of people, like I said, we'll put them in the show notes that you can learn more from. You've got Paul Saladino too, who's a big carnivore guy, Gabrielle, like us, we can answer some questions for you. But I think it's just like any other diet and approach where you need to do your research. You need to experiment with yourself personally and just pay attention to how you feel and make adjustments as necessary. Definitely. And if anyone, we don't have to talk about the environmental part because I feel like neither of us are experts on that. The person who is, is Diana Rogers. Mm-hmm. Her website and her podcast and her social media is The Sustainable Dish. So suffice it to say that done the right way, you can be an animal lover and a protector of the environment and a meat eater all at the same time. And Diana is a registered dietitian and a farmer mm-hmm. and a badass. Mm-hmm. So she can answer any, her writing and her talks and stuff can answer any questions that you may have around the environment. Absolutely. The other thing that Gabrielle says that I quote all the time, because I think it's freaking brilliant, is the idea that when people are overweight, it isn't so much that they have too much fat, it's that they don't have enough muscle. So kind of like what you just said about, you know, it's not just about losing fat, it's also about building muscle and that building muscle will help you with burning the fat. You know, Gabrielle's a medical doctor. She has all the, she has a ton of nutrition training. 
So I, when she talks, I listen. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a, a huge thing and it's about where our, our sort of priorities and understanding lie. And I, I totally believe that having a base of muscle and also this muscle maturity from like years and years of focusing on muscle. It gives you, and I'm trying to remember who actually put it this way, but I'll see if I can put it in the show notes, but it gives you more leeway. So again, for basically metabolically healthy people, I can get away with eating more carbs than perhaps my identical counterpart in age and size and weight who the muscle amount is much less, right? Like I can get away with it because my muscles are going to suck in that glucose and use it. And, you know, I'm just, I'm maybe more metabolically flexible and all of those things. So muscle, like not only looks good, it makes you live longer, but it gives you like more kind of playroom to do what you want nutritionally, which is fantastic. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And as somebody who pounds protein all the time and is like lives in the gym (laughs) and still has little tiny baby muscles, I really think, yeah. (laughs) We've all got tiny baby muscle. It's all relative, right? Like some days I feel like She-Hulk and then I like hang out with, you know, my girlfriend who can squat 300 pounds and I'm like, baby muscles. It's all, (laughs) we're all working on it, right? We're all, you know, on our journey. Right. Right. But yeah, you don't have to worry about bulking up. So should we talk about organ meats? Yeah, we should. Sorry, guys, I'm interrupting my own damn self here to tell you about today's show sponsor. And before you skip through, I got to tell you, this one is offering the biggest discount of any of them at 20% off. So maybe listen to this one. I'll keep it brief. Okay. All right. Bub's Naturals is my only source for collagen and MCT powder. And look, I'm nothing if not consistent with the things that I love, right? Basically, my life is held together by collagen, coffee, chocolate, and organ meats. What else do you need, really? But anyway, Bubs makes the best collagen of all of the kinds that I've tried, which is a lot. It mixes better than basically any other product. Their MCT powder goes into my coffee every morning and makes it delicious and creamy and full of healthy fats, which is great for people who are trying to, I don't know, stick to a lower carb thing, a keto thing. If you're trying to compress your eating window and you want to have something to tide you over in the morning, it's perfect. Um, The company also gives a full 10% of their earnings to a charity that supports military veterans, which is a cause near and dear to my heart. Um, And that's basically unheard of in the industry to give that much money to a philanthropic purpose. But they're basically a company that focused on giving back first before making Making money, which honestly is very unique today. So they just happen to make really great products. So go to bubsnaturals.com, use the code muscle maven, get some collagen for your gut health and your beauty, get some MCT to support those low carb goals. And you're doing something to help the world and make it a better place at the same time. So bubsnaturals.com, code muscle maven for 20% off. And now back to the show. Okay. So I think everybody knows, right, that you have a cookbook coming out that's about, yes. you want to talk about that first or do you want to talk about how we got there first or how you- Yeah. Got- I mean, I'll, I just kind of briefly, because obviously now that this is my own damn podcast, I can talk about whatever I want and I can talk about my book. So yeah, everybody pretty much, I would think, knows by now that I do have a book coming out this summer. It's going to be available for pre-order this summer. I'm just finishing up some mid-quarantine photo shoots. And when that's done, everything will be up and we can do sort of the pre-order push. But I'm writing a cookbook about organ meats specifically. It's nose to tail. So I'm 
basically I've got noses and tails essentially <laughs> in some of these recipes. And I brought together a bunch of my friends who are chefs and recipe developers, including present company to <laughs> contribute some recipes because this was a real learning experience for me and was super fun. I don't have a background in sort of profession. I'm not a professional chef. I don't have a background in recipe development. It's just been a passion of mine for a long time. And so I wanted to bring on some people who really knew what they were talking about to contribute some recipes, which I got a great group of people to do that for me. And also it was really like the thing that I didn't expect to have happen, because this was just like a twinkle in my eye, literally like six or seven months ago. And now it's a cookbook that's coming out crazy, right? I mean, we talked about it and I feel like five minutes later you were like, yeah, I got a book deal and I'm, you know, working. I mean, (laughs) but that's you, but that's you. That is like, that is like vintage Ashley. (laughs) I appreciate that. But it is one of those things where, and you've had this experience too, I know in your career where when like an idea comes and it crystallizes, it's like, okay, so this is happening. I don't know how it's going to take its shape or form, but this is what I want to do. I'm passionate about it. The idea is here. Let's go. And oftentimes that kind of energy just sort of brings the opportunities to you in a certain way. Like I did my work and I, it's been a lot of work, as you know, you've written cookbooks, but I loved this idea. I felt passionately about it. And like, I knew this was going to come out into the world one way or another. And here we are. So I've got Victory Belt is the publisher and they've done a lot of awesome New York Times bestselling books from, you know, Ben Greenfield and Kelly Sturette and all these fantastic people. And next up, this guy. But one of the things that I was going to say that has been really unexpected for me during this process is how empowering and satisfying it's been coming up with recipes that I was unfamiliar with and I made them work and I enjoyed them and other people enjoyed them. And again, speaking to you, you're probably like, yeah, duh. Like it's awesome creating recipes that people enjoy because that's what you do for a living. But, you know, taking like a different cut of meat that I may have never used before, in some cases have never seen the raw form before. And I'm like, all right, let's figure out how to make this delicious. Let's play with it. Let's experiment. And every time I come up with a recipe that is successful, that I'm proud of, that I enjoy, I'm like, I kind of know what I'm doing a little bit. Like maybe I'm a little (laughs) bit of a chef now. Like it's really, really exciting. And it really does, like it's that cliche that's said over and over again, but it, it holds true here that like, I don't have any special skills or ability here. I just had a desire and a willingness to try. And if I can do this and make these recipes just fun and healthy and exciting and interesting, other people can do that too. Let's talk about that for a minute. So one of the things I wanted to talk about today with regard to your cookbook was what your process has been for recipe development. And the reason I wanted to ask you about that is not because I want to like have an inside baseball conversation about recipe development, although I do, but that would bore (laughs) everybody. (laughs) But the reason I wanted to ask you about it is because it's just what you're saying that I feel like I would disagree with you that you don't have any special abilities because you obviously do and you love food and you have a passion for food. And I think that's a big part of it. But for someone out there who, whether they're cooking organ meats or they're cooking anything, when they're looking at, at something and they don't know how to cook it, or they're looking at a recipe and they're not sure kind of what stuff means. And so they have to improvise. So I wanted to dig in a little bit about what your process was for developing recipes, because I think that would be helpful to people out there listening who face this sort of same questions. What, you know, you don't have to be writing a cookbook to be kind of concerned about how to make food taste good when you're not really sure, you know, what you're doing. 
Yeah, that is kind of a good question. And I don't know if I've ever really articulated to myself or anyone else what the process for me was, but I think there were a couple kind of overarching thoughts that were in my head the whole time. And one of them was, I want these dishes for the most part, almost entirely, I think, to be healthy, what I consider to be healthy, which is that they are protein forward, mostly whole foods. Like there's definitely some, you know, paleo flowers and some rice here and there and whatever. But like, I wanted them to be all meals that I feel like are healthy and are nourishing to people. So that was like number one. Number two, I wanted to, where I could, draw from recipes that already exist, that are already well-loved, that are not even necessarily comfort food, but like meals that people recognize and enjoy and adjust them a little bit by adding some organ meat. So it's a lot easier to get your head around like everybody loves a burger, right? Everybody loves a burger. So let's figure out a way to hide some liver in your burger so that you enjoy your burger and it's super nutrient dense rather than like, let's go zero to a hundred with like liver tartare or something. You know what I mean? Like I just, so there was sort of that part of it too. And a lot of the recipes are, and this is something actually that I kind of wanted to, this is getting a little bit inside baseball, but the book, the recipes that I include all of them have notes, which again is sort of like explaining like, here's how long this recipe lasts in the fridge. Like here's some substitutions you can do. But most of mine also have like intro notes that are literally a story behind the recipe. And I didn't want to be like too just like writing for the sake of my own voice being out there. But I really felt like with this kind of cookbook where the ingredients are often unfamiliar and people are a little bit intimidated, I really wanted to tell the stories of the recipes so that it's you know, welcoming people a little bit and encouraging people a little bit and giving people a story. Because I think you would agree that the only thing better than a delicious meal that we're eating together is like one that has a good story behind it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just part of it, like sharing food, sharing stories. That's all part of like the human experience. And so many of the recipes that I came up with have a personal story. So maybe they're from place that I lived in my life that was important and cool. Maybe some of the chefs that submitted recipes, these were like family recipes that were handed down through generations for them. Some of them just have like kind of funny personal stories and like maybe me trying to source the ingredients or something. But I thought it was cool and good to have stories behind the recipes too, because it just adds a different layer to what you're doing and how this is the concept of this book is I want people to eat nose to tail and organ meats and I want to normalize that. But the deeper level of it is that I want to encourage people to be willing to take risks and try new things and be open-minded to new experiences. Because if you're open to the idea of trying a different culture's food, if you're open to the idea of trying a new dish that maybe you would have been scared of before, and you have a positive experience, and you're like, wow, this has opened up a whole new world to me of like pleasure and happiness and health. Like, how else can that translate in your life? Like, where else in your life could you maybe be a bit more open-minded or willing to take a risk or willing to try something new? And I believe that. I really don't believe that that's just me like spouting some like woo-woo BS. Like, I really believe that opening your mind to new opportunities in any area can have really positive kind of ripple effects to the rest of your life. So anyway, that was a whole rant. That was sort of what I was thinking of every time I was 
coming up with something completely new. Because the other thing too that I wanted to talk about is that like some of this stuff was intimidating to me too. Like I post all this stuff in my stories and people are like, you are such a weirdo. Like you're just like (laughs) handling raw brains. Like where did you come from? And I'm like, look, I'm doing this. And it's like scary to me sometimes too. I'm like, what am I dealing with here? Like, I can't believe I'm cleaning an animal skin right now and I'm about to deep fry, like whatever. So Mm -hmm. it's, but it doesn't mean that I don't want to do it just because it's maybe weird or different. Doesn't mean that I'm going to turn away from it. It kind of means that I'm like a little scared, but also excited about it. And that has been a really cool eye-opening learning experience for me. So yeah. That's amazing. And you reminded me of that expression, like how you do something is how you do everything. Yeah. So I think you're exactly right. If people can open up their minds a little bit and open up their palates a little bit to some unfamiliar foods, it does make you go, oh, maybe I could try this other experience that I found intimidating, but is actually not that. Absolutely. Scary. That's the hope. Yeah. Um, or is scary, but I can do it anyway. So where did it start for you? Like, how did you first get interested in organ meats? Did you grow up eating them or did it come to you more recently? Yeah. I mean, I guess it came to me more recently. I definitely didn't grow up eating organ meats. I, you know, I grew up in the East coast of Canada. And so we had certainly some kind of area specific food. Like we ate probably a lot more lobster than the average person maybe listening to this podcast did. And, you know, looking back, it's interesting because, you know, you, you don't think about food until maybe most people don't think about food until they hit somewhere in their twenties when they're like metabolism starts slowing down and they have to start like caring about nutrition or, you know, if you have a health issue, you know, teenagers don't think about what they eat and, you know, if you're a 20 year old athlete, like you can eat anything, whatever. So I really didn't think about, I always loved food, but I really didn't think about nutrition or cared about what I ate until probably mid to late twenties. But when I look back, I think like I did gravitate towards meat for sure. I was always like, my stepdad was always barbecuing steaks when I was like coming home from the bar when I was 19 and I'd have a steak with him at like two in the morning. And, you know, (laughs) he, we loved eating like smoked fish and like, smoked oysters and like fishy fish and stuff that other people kind of weren't super into. So like looking back, I was like, I kind of always had like the potential for this palette. Like I liked it. I think it wasn't until, and then there were hints, like when I graduated university, I moved to Bermuda. And so I was opened up to different cultural foods there because there's a lot of like Portuguese, for example, there's a big Portuguese community there and they do some stuff with maybe organ meats with tripe and things like that. And they had some like fun octopus stew and just kind of cool stuff. So I started like kind of getting an inkling there. I moved from Bermuda to New York and I was living like really close to Chinatown. So I started getting into like some dim sum and some Asian cuisine where they just eat all kinds of interesting things. And I just never had a period where I was like, I'm scared. I'm not into this. This is weird. This is different. It was always like, this is weird. This is different. Like, give it to me. Like I just, cause I just don't see I don't see how you can lose, you know, like you try something, you don't like it, you move on with your life. But if you try something and you do like it, you just tried something cool and awesome. And there's something new in your life. Like I just, it's that expansive kind of attitude that I've always been into. And then to be honest, like I like trying things that other people aren't willing to try. Like, you know, I was like eating bugs when people were like, are you nuts and crazy? And I enjoyed it. Like at first, maybe there was a part of me that was just trying to like prove that I could like do something other people couldn't. And then I would like eat something and I'd be like, this is actually legit delicious. So now I'm into it. So that was kind of how I got into it. It was just like a a passion for food, a desire to try new things always. 
And then mm-hmm. it sort of interestingly funneled into the health part of it when I realized that all this weird stuff that, you know, maybe the mainstream white Western world wasn't eating is also super healthy and good for you and good for the environment and good for everything. And so it was kind of like a no brainer. It just sort of all came together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'm actually glad to hear that you didn't grow up eating it because I almost feel like it's easier for people. Like every time I listen to somebody or read about somebody who like, yeah, my grandma used to make X, Y, Z. I'm always like, well, it's, you know, that's great for that person. I'm happy for that person. But it's like for someone who's new to it, it's a totally different experience. So it's nice to know that it wasn't like, you know, something that you grew up eating. So for people who want to do what you're doing, like they hear you talk about organ meats, maybe they've seen some of the stuff you've posted on social media and they're like, okay, I get it. I get why this is a good thing to do, but I'm having trouble like just getting there. Like, how do you, when I think you touched on this, when you said like, try it, if you don't like it, whatever, but like, how do you get someone to kind of, or how do you help somebody to kind of like flip that switch for themselves if they're really struggling with like getting over the hump? Yeah. There is, I think, a bunch of different approaches. There is, first of all, if you have the willingness, that's the first step because I'm not forcing anybody to eat chicken gizzards. Like, if you're totally, like, like my mother is like a recovering vegetarian. Like, she eats meat because she literally has to. She doesn't want to, which is hilarious because she looks at me and she's like, how did I give birth to you? But I'm not going to force her to eat liver because she can barely stomach eating like chicken breast and steak, right? We got to meet people where they are. But if you're interested, if you're a meat eater and you're like, I get it, like I get the health benefits, I'm a little grossed out, but I'm interested, that's the first step because you have to want to make changes in order to do it, right? So there's that. Then there's, there's a couple like sort of small ways to approach this. First of all, if you are a little bit scared or grossed out by like strong smells or flavors or different textures you want to start simple and work your way up. So I always talk about you want to start with like small animal organ meats first because they're much milder tasting. You know the difference between a chicken liver and a beef liver. One of them is a lot stronger tasting and it's a lot more intense to work with. So you start small, you start with things that are milder tasting, easier to work with. And so that's always like chicken gizzards, chicken liver, chicken hearts. They're much milder tasting start with going out to a restaurant and having someone else make it for you, right? So that you don't have to deal with the work that could be a little bit intimidating. So have some chicken liver mousse, like have one of us that's your friends, like make you some, you know, whatever. Yeah. So then you can just get the experience without having to kind of do the hard work yourself first, I think is another way to do it. And then there's also the idea of like you kind of spoke to about people who didn't grow up eating this way. So it's a bit of a harder sell than people who obviously this was normal for them. It's the same with like introducing new foods to your kids, right? You have to give them some chances to get into it, to become familiar with it. You know, you got a kid, you know how this works. You don't just feed somebody like, you know, an avocado or peas or squash or liver one time. And they're like, "Mm, it's a little bit weird. Okay. And then you never look at it again. Like you got to try it. You got to try it couple times. You got to taste it, maybe try it in different ways. So with chicken liver, you can have it in a pate and like a delicious mousse on some crackers. You can have it fried, which obviously always makes everything taste more delicious. You can have it ground into your ground beefs. You can barely taste it. You can just work your way into it slowly. You don't have to go from chicken breast to kidneys, you know, right? Like you kind of work your way into it. Give yourself a couple times and opportunities to get familiar with it. Because some of these things are 
let's be honest, acquired tastes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, some things I think people would find surprisingly palatable, things like sweetbreads and heart and muscle meat, tongue, tongue tacos are delicious. Yes, Mm -hmm. it might be terrifying to think about making it yourself. Go to an awesome Mexican restaurant and get tongue tacos and tell me you don't think that tastes delicious. I want you to make that for me because I've seen you make that and I really, I really want to try that. With kids, incidentally, the experts, if you read like the books on feeding kids, the experts say it can take up to 20 tries. Now that's kids and I think adults is a little different, but I think what you're saying about give it a few different tries and a few different applications is very wise because, you know, a lot of times you taste something and you're like, I didn't like this particular chicken liver mousse. That doesn't mean you don't like chicken liver. That means you didn't like that particular dish. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You got to kind of put the work in because again, like I'm not going to try to pretend to tell you that again, eating a beef liver is the same as eating a piece of steak. It's not. There are different textures. There are different tastes. There, it doesn't mean that it's gross and you're going to have to force yourself. But the, and the other thing to consider too is that you don't have to eat a beef liver steak every day to get the benefits. They're so nutrient dense that you can eat this stuff in pretty small amounts and still be getting a ton of benefit. And you can eat you know, a couple ounces of liver once a week and you're like, you're crushing it. This doesn't have to be like, all right, all I do is eat liver now. And people, contrary to popular belief, I'm not eating liver in huge amounts all day. I do eat quite a bit of it. But you know, there are many days where I'm eating, like, like I'm eating you know, chicken thighs and salad and I'm eating fish and boring protein. Like I'm not eating this weird exotic stuff all the time. You don't have to. It's about, you know, incorporating it, adding it in so that you have sort of more variety in your life. There's also a halfway point between preparing it yourself and eating in a restaurant. And that is if you live somewhere where you're lucky enough to have a butcher, they will often do some of this work for you. I mean, you, you know, I've sent you pictures from my crazy butcher that carries like rattlesnake and (laughs) kangaroo meat and everything. So lucky. so but awesome. they will do they will do anything you ask. So you can ask your butcher to and if you give them a little notice, most of them will do it. Hey, I really want some hamburger meat, but I want some liver diced up into it. Chances are they may charge you a little bit, but chances are your butcher will do that for you. And yep. if you patronize the same butcher over and over again and they get to know you, they may even suggest things to you about when they see you incorporating organ meats, they may say to you, Hey, have you tried this or that? So, and then you're cooking it yourself, but you're not necessarily hands-on chopping up that liver, which can, you know, takes a little getting used to if you're not used to it. Absolutely. Speaking of your awesome butcher shop, which I love so much, like there are a couple. Paisano's in Brooklyn. If anybody from Brooklyn is listening, it's. Oh my goodness. Paisano's on Smith street. They're amazing. It is the coolest. Another thing too that I have noticed through this experiment of sourcing for my recipes that I've made friends with some farmers. I've made friends with some butchers. I still have had to go through a lot of weird looks and a lot of people at grocery stores or meat shops being like, are you okay? You know, so that's going to happen because I have had people reach out to me and be like, honestly, I'm just kind of intimidated to go to these places and like ask for a heart because I've never seen one before. And like, I don't want them to give me a weird look. And I'm like, first of all, good for you. But some of this is like, you just kind of got to bite the bullet and be a little bit maybe nervous and do it anyway. Because if I, again, if I had a dollar for every time a butcher was like, you, what do you want? 
like, you know, I could retire. And remember, they don't care. Like, they may give you a funny look, but who cares? Like, yeah, no one's going to think you're like a serial killer. You're just asking for a slightly. Yeah. And, and this is, again, another thing about like experiencing and being more open-minded to other cultures and stuff. Like if you go to yeah. some Asian markets, if you go to some African yeah. markets, those people aren't going to look at you weird. They're going to be like, yeah, the goat neck's over here. Like, go get yeah. it. Right. And that's yeah. what I've done a lot of times in this process is, you know, I'm trying to get local whenever I can. I'm trying to get from local farms, but a lot of these places, because if they're catering to sort of traditional American, you know, white audiences, like those people generally, this is generalization, aren't asking for a lot of these um, offcuts, but a lot of the, you know, different like ethnic markets and Asian markets and African markets, they are hundred percent. It's not weird to them at all. The other day, actually, I just went to a Middle Eastern market that I haven't been to in a while, but I love it there. And it was a while. And I was looking for this one what was it that I was in for? Lamb neck. I was going to say, it's something with lamb. Mm-hmm. Lamb neck. I was really excited about this recipe. It's actually inspired by, have you heard of the, or been to the restaurant in, I guess it's like maybe the East Village, Lower East Side called Duck's Eatery? No. Okay. No. It's really good. Hopefully okay. if it still exists and it opens up, you can go there. One of the more memorable meals I had in New York was, it was goat, so it wasn't lamb, but it was literally like slow roasted goat neck on rice. And it was just smoky and fall off the bone and just so simple. It was just protein and carb and it was just rich and it was delicious. And I'm like, I'm doing that. So anyway, yeah. So I went there and they've got, you know, they've got lamb heads on display and they've got every kind of part of it and it's not weird. So, and it's not weird. That's what I want people to know is that it's not weird. Just because it's weird to you doesn't mean it's, it's weird. It's the least weird thing in the world is to want to utilize the entire animal that you are killing and harvesting to feed people, right? Right. Um, And for those people who are concerned about the environment, again, like this is a great way to honor the environment by using the whole animal. And that's what what we evolved doing. And also if you do, if you are lucky enough to have one of those ethnic markets near you, an Asian market, an African market, a Middle Eastern market, anything like that, and you want to go and explore, instead of thinking like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm weird because I'm this white person in this market. If you ask them any questions about how to handle the product, I have never, ever had an experience where someone has been unwilling to help me. And in fact, usually they're so excited to be asked questions. I mean, think about it if it was you and somebody was asking you about how to cook something that, you know, is kind of unique to your culture. Like, you would probably be psyched about sharing. So people working in those markets, I've never, ever had anyone turn me away or be anything but like, and sometimes it's kind of a funny encounter because like sometimes there's a language barrier and you have to kind of motion and ends up being part of the experience. So I definitely encourage anybody to explore those markets. Do not feel intimidated. They're just people like you and they want, most of them are going to want to share the information with you. Yeah, I've had lots of fun exchanges with people. Like the other day when I was getting my lamb neck, this young guy behind the counter, and I was like, hey, I was calling earlier about some lamb neck. And he's like, oh yeah, right over here. And it turns out that necks are a bigger cut of the animal than you would expect because it's really like, you know, and going back, it's like almost like, looks like a kind of like a shank or something. And I actually, at the same time, found turkey necks. And did you know that turkey necks are like this long? Like it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so I was like, all right, can you give me like, I don't know, half that lamb neck? Like, I don't know how much neck I need, whatever. And he, he's like, have you ever done this before? <laughs> and I was like, I have not, but I have a recipe and I'm excited to try it. Have you ever done this before? And he's like, 
I have not. I'm like, all right, I'll let you know how it goes. So I'm pretty excited. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's always positive. If you're excited and interested and, and willing to ask questions, nine, yeah, like you said, 99% of the time, people are going to be pumped to help you. So um, yeah, I understand. Not, little, that's funny too. Like when they're not, when they're well, that's yeah. true too. Like I went to, you know, my like traditional butcher and I remember I was asking for blood because I was making some blood pudding, a couple different variations of blood pudding actually. And I went in there, you know, and asked for some blood straight up. And they looked at me like I had asked for human blood. And I was like, guys, guys, come on. I'm making some blood pudding. Like, give me a break. And I ended up finding it. But yeah, you just got to kind of see the humor in it. Like, you know, you're just asking questions. So yeah, I get it that people can be a little bit intimidated because honestly, there are, I've made a couple calls where I'm like, okay, could ask the stranger on the phone about this weird ingredient, but like, it's fine. It's just, you know, it's just part of the journey. So have there been any, you touched on this, I think briefly, but like, have there been any organ meats in your experience with the book where you got it? You're like, you're all in, you're excited to try it. You get it. It's on your cutting board. And you're like, this is I, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is difficult. Like, has that happened to you? And what, how did you get through it? Yes. So there are a couple times where I was just like making a real creeped out face the entire time I was dealing with, but I still did. So for example, tripe was one of the tougher ones for me to deal with. And I was very fortunate that I went through a source that had cleaned it for me, mm-hmm. processed it pretty well for me, but tripe, which is what tripe is. Yeah. So tripe is basically stomach, usually beef stomach. So it's like the actual stomach lining and it's very textured and it's very it's a lot thicker and more substantial than I expected like it almost felt like it was already cooked but it wasn't so like part of some of this tripe the stomach is like it it literally I'm just being honest it felt like a deflated beach ball like it was like rubber it was like thick material and it was kind of weird and I was like it was intense I was like all right this is um this is a weird one. And because it was so different texturally from any other meat, because even liver, even sweetbreads, like they may be softer, they may be kind of different, but like, it's like, this isn't meat. It's fine. The, the stomach is a completely different situation. So that was a bit weird for me to play with. And like, for example, kidney, like a lot of people talk to me about liver and they're like, liver, it's so strong tasting. It's intense. I want to try it, but it makes me want to gag. And I'm like, liver is good. I like the taste of liver. Kidney for me is a more challenging Organ. Are you familiar? Do you eat? Have you eaten much kidney? Not much, but I've had like steak and kidney pie, like when I was in the UK. Yeah, yeah. So for me, kidney is one that I believe requires a fair amount of work and preparation to make it more palatable. It's a much stronger and more challenging flavor for me. I personally would tend more towards chopping it up and hiding it in things like a pie or like a you know even ground meat or whatever, and it's. You know, it's got a stronger smell. It's got a stronger flavor. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's different and it's more intense. And for somebody who likes intense flavors, it's intense for me. And I remember the first time I got brain, you know, like I'm cleaning this and I'm holding a brain in my hand and it just straight up looks like a brain. It doesn't look any different than a human brain. And, but I was never grossed out. Like I've never had any time where I'm like holding something and I'm like, you know, gagging or sick. I'm just like, it's almost more just like fascinating from like a clinical sense. I'm just like, there's a brain in my hand. Like I'm going to cook this. Like it's just kind of a trip, but yeah, I mean, so definitely there are some meats that are more challenging for me. And like, I'll be the first to admit that I think I'm pretty adventurous. I've got a pretty expansive palate. It doesn't mean that I 
love every single form that it can take. And, you know, I'm not probably going to eat kidney three times a week. Like that's not my favorite, but Mm -hmm. I experimented with it. I came up with some, some recipes that I enjoyed that I think other people can enjoy. And we all have different palates. So there might be some people out there who will never get into tripe, but like actually quite enjoy some, some kidneys sometimes. So that's kind of the fun of it. But I want to turn that question around to you. Have you messed around with any organ meats or any kind of different cuts and been sort of like grossed out or creeped out by it? Not, I mean, I haven't cooked a lot of organ meats. I've, and what I have has been mostly liver. But I will say that I'm like good to cut stuff up. And like I had to butcher a rabbit in culinary school. is fine. But I once, when I was, I was working and I was interning at a hotel right after I finished culinary school. And I watched them take apart a turtle for turtle soup. That was challenging for me. Like I'm not that squeamish at all, especially where it's food is concerned. Cause to me it's food. And like I can walk into the Middle Eastern market and see the lamb heads doesn't bother me. That was, yeah, that was, that was tough for me. Have you ever eaten turtle? Well, I had eaten turtle soup prior to that. Now I don't know that I would be. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was tough for me. I wasn't participating. I was just watching. Um, but yeah, that one was, that was hard for me. Okay. What's the most adventurous thing in your opinion that you've ever eaten? I don't know. I was going to ask you that question. And I was going to ask you if there's anything that you're like, you know what, just no, I just don't want to eat that. Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of no, I wouldn't eat it. I think it would have to be probably more along the lines of either a safety issue or a sustainability issue. So like Mm -hmm. if someone offers me like rare white rhino or something, like if there's like a ethics sustainability thing there, I would probably not do it. And then if there's something where it's like, if this isn't cooked properly, you could die. Like those kind of issues I'm going to pay more attention to. But I don't think that outside of those parameters, there's anything that I wouldn't try. Like I remember at a certain point being like, you know, if it would upset other people around me, like I know, like I have some friends who, you know, love horses and that would very much upset them. We can eat horse in Canada legally. And I know that in some places in the States or maybe all of the States, you can't, but now I'm trying to, I'm starting to work, like trying to get my head around some of that. Like, you know, there are cultures where people eat things that we consider to be pets, you know, but in some places people consider cows to be pets. So like we have to kind of keep some perspective. Yes. Um, and some cultural awareness and things like that. So, I mean, I, there's, there's, I guess, long story short, is that there isn't a whole lot that I wouldn't try. In terms of like most adventurous, like, I don't know. I've eaten, like I had pigeon, which doesn't seem that weird now in light of all the organ meats that I've eaten, but like I was on a trip to Egypt years ago and they had pigeon on the menu and I was just like, come on, like, when am I ever going to get that? And it was just like a lot of bones. <laughs> it was yeah. kind of dark meat. It was kind of tasty. Um, yeah. but that was kind of cool. Like I love the idea of just eating what is real in the place where you are. Like I'm not going to go to Egypt and eat a burger and fries. Like I want to eat what, what they're eating. I'm trying to think of anything like really crazy. And then look, listen, I made scrambled brains and eggs in my own kitchen and Mm -hmm. ate them. That's pretty adventurous. It ended up being quite easy to eat. I mean, it tasted like scrambled eggs, but that process was pretty intense. So Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's really, there's really not much I wouldn't try. I love that. Yeah. I love that about you. Yeah. That's my best. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that when you go to restaurants, do you have friends other than me who are kind of like up for it, who like, 
you know, do you have a lot of friends who will do that? Who will like, no, not so much. I do not. I mean, Alex is pretty good, but he, and he's like, I'd say he's like, he's totally on board with the, I'm open. I'm interested. I'm willing to give it a shot. I think his like line of what he won't cross is different than mine, which I totally respect, but it's very good to have a partner who is, you know, cause it, I mean, living with me would be pretty tough if you don't like eating dark meat or something, you know what I mean? Like you're going to have, you're going to have a rough guy with me, but no, I don't really have a ton of friends. And this is maybe, you know, again, like my job is not to convince my friends to eat liver. My job is to, you know, communicate what I think is awesome and important. And when people are ready to come around, they will, but you know, I've got you. So that's a good start. And, you know, I, I think it's really just about like, when I go to a restaurant, like I'm always going to try the different thing, the thing that I haven't tried yet. And then maybe people will have a try off my plate and see what happens. So yeah. 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 I think I've brought Mark around on rabbit because I absolutely, I absolutely love rabbit. I'm not somebody who like loves poultry. Like I'll eat it, but it's not my favorite, but man, rabbit, to me, rabbit is like what poultry should taste like. It's just so freaking good. And I think when we first got together, he was like, who are you? Because <laughs> I love all the fluffy animals, but then I want to eat them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a very adventurous eater, but I think the rabbit thing I brought, he grew up in Arizona. So, mm. you know, but I think he's, I think I've brought him around now. He's like, okay, I'm on board with the rabbit. So I know you're not a huge fowl person, but we've talked about duck before, right? Like, are you yeah, not? I love duck. Okay. I love duck. I mean, we had a CSA a few years ago that offered a duck share and we got the duck share and I ate more duck in that six week period than I had like in my life cumulatively up to that yeah. point. So I was a little bit like ducked out yes. for a while. It was a lot of duck. It was very intense, but I love duck and I'm always happy to eat it in it, you know, in sort of almost any form. The best duck I ever had was in New Orleans at a restaurant called Lillette. They have they're, I don't know what they do to their duck confit, but it is like the best duck I've ever eaten. Nice. Um, and of That's course, awesome. like, of course, like Asian, you know, Peking duck, like love that. So yeah. I actually have a duck gizzard confit recipe and it's crazy how easy it is and how delicious it is. Like I didn't, gizzard was one of those things that I didn't have a ton of experience with and I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't have any expectations whether it would be extra challenging or extra easy. I was just like, let's just go with this. And I mean, when you confit something, it's going to be delicious. You're cooking it in fat and it's ridiculous, (laughs) but it was so good. Like I'm, you're going to obviously have to try this recipe. I know you'll love it because it's just like these nuggets of like juicy, rich, like dark meat deliciousness. So good. So yeah, I'm, I'm obviously definitely on the duck bandwagon and also cooking anything with duck fat. Yes. No, duck fat is crazy. Duck fat is so good. It's, it's so like good. it's like it's smoky when it's not even smoked. It's just yeah. like so rich and delicious. Yeah. Okay. This conversation is now just delving into like what I want to eat for lunch. So maybe we should start like kind of wrapping it up. But I think okay. I feel good about this conversation in terms of I always feel good about our conversations, but <laughs> I feel good about this conversation in terms of the main things that I wanted to achieve was having like sort of a high level discussion about carnivore so I can direct people to this when they're like, I'm curious, I don't know. And then also a general conversation about what eating organ meats means, you know, in terms of 
the health benefits, the sustainability benefits, and also just the benefit to expanding your world a little bit. Those are really like the kind of most important parts of it for me. And I think if anybody has any additional questions, feel free to ask us. I'm going to put both of our contact information in the show notes. A couple other people who would be really good to follow and speak to about this. Diana Rogers, it's funny because I've actually talked to her for my book and she's like, I'm actually not like huge organ meat eater myself. I'm totally a proponent of it, but like, it's okay. So I'm like, I appreciate your honesty, but she's very knowledgeable about this kind of stuff. So she's great to follow. Anya Fernald, who actually is a podcast guest of mine. She's the founder of Belcampo, which is, you know, a meat supply system, like revolutionizing how to get like good quality meat to people. And they've got a range of restaurants. And I love her because she cooks hearts and bone marrow and stuff like it's nothing. And she's helping to like normalize this stuff. So she's fantastic. And then another one that I think I sent to you, her name's Tara Couture, and she runs her own farm called Slowdown Farmstead. Yeah, that was a great episode. And yeah. mm -hmm. She's very, very vocal about the process of raising and loving and harvesting your own animals. And she has a ton of great recipes, lots of like very rich, delicious, easy organ meat recipes. And she's just super, super awesome resource in this world. So she'd be a great person to follow too. And then of course us. So, cause we're great and we live. I'm definitely not an organ meat expert. If anybody came to me with organ meat questions beyond like basic things about like how to get them or how to ask them or stuff, I'd probably refer them to you. But the one thing I would say to anybody is just one of the things that I think you say often that I think is so wise is that so many of these things that we do or that we consider trying or that we don't try that it's really a question of mindset. And that if you can sort of wrap your mind around just trying something, that it's not just a question of like, hey, maybe you'll find out that you love liver and heart and that's delicious and it gives you more delicious things to eat. But it also actually makes your life better. Like it makes your life better to enjoy more things. Like whoever enjoys the most stuff wins. So (laughs) that's one of the reasons why I admire what you're doing so much and admire your message so much. So everybody should do what I do, which is do whatever Ashley tells you. (laughs) I love that. That's the best way to end it. I mean, the quote is definitely whoever enjoys the most stuff wins. That is the quote. I kind of want that on my like gravestone, but yeah, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you being a part of the book. I'm so excited. Like really we're on a countdown now of like weeks before we can start like actually announcing it and talking about it. And so I'm really excited to see how it goes. And every day somebody sends me a picture of their liver that they're making. It just makes me so happy. So I hope people continue to do that. And that's it. Thanks for your time. Let's do this again soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around. I hope you learned a little something. I had so much fun with this one. Sometimes it's fun for me to just shamelessly share with you what I'm working on and talking about the book. I don't want to overdo it. I know it can be annoying when people kind of oversell things, but I'm just so excited about the project. And I really, really hope that you guys are too, and that you guys are interested in learning more as I kind of unveil more information about it. I think it's going to be an awesome project. So Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Beth for being a part of this. As always, she will be back, so don't worry about that. And thanks again to our show sponsor, Bubs Naturals. Love those guys. They actually also are a big part of the cookbook because I did a lot of 
dessert recipes with collagen. And that's what Bubs does. They make really, really high quality grass-fed collagen powder as well as MCT. Uh, I use them every day. I put their MCT in my iced coffee in the morning and I put their collagen in any kind of dessert, chocolate, baking, anything that I'm ever doing. So they get a big shout out in the book too. But those guys are awesome. They've always been a huge supporter of mine. And they they basically just do a couple things really well. They give back to charity. They make some really great collagen and MCT. And they build an awesome community. So go to bubsnaturals.com. Use the code MUSCLEMAVEN. Get yourself a discount. Let me know if you try it and if you like it. And that's it. Just connect with me however you'd like to. Please join me here again next Tuesday. I've got another awesome episode for you. And that's that. Have a great week and I'll see you back here soon.